Welcome to the Flash F1 podcast with Gil and Mark. Thank you for tuning in to Flash F1. We're a fresh new podcast delivering Formula One talk about the most recent race and organized discussions of all things F1. For those of you that have listened to our previous episodes, thank you for coming back for more. You are now officially Flash fans, or as I like to call you, our Flashers. <laughs> I just want to point out, since we're new to podcasting, we're bound to make a few mistakes. Yes, I said mistakes, not steaks for you veggie and vegan listeners out there, but I guarantee I'm going to butcher this podcast somehow. Mark? Great introduction as always. Maybe it's a, a beyond introduction oh i see what you did there beyond meat beyond introduction i like it pretty pretty good but you know what again i I appreciate everyone joining i I think we've got some great feedback which will kind of tie into the podcast towards the end when we do a quote unquote mailbag uh, section but honestly we can maybe just jump right into this china mark the 1000th grand prix of all time great number maybe not Maybe not the best venue to celebrate this. Obviously, it would have been great to have kind of tied this into a Silverstone or a uh, Monza, but whatever the case, it was a great race. Um, we'll get to the details. Uh, Mercedes 1-2, uh, first time in a quarter of a century that a team has gone 1-2 in the first three races of the season. But really, that's not the story. The story ultimately is that Ferrari made some terrible strategy decisions, and they f- Leclerc's race. Yeah, and what I've mentioned in previous episodes of our podcast is I wanted the drivers to just drive without any team orders, and it looks like uh, this particular race has jumped back to what I was talking about with uh, Vettel and Raikkonen uh, in previous years, and it looks like it's happening with uh, their number two driver, Leclerc, if you want to call him a number two driver, but uh, that was the uh, situation uh, in last night's race. Yeah, and honestly, if there's a story coming out of this, forget the fact that Mercedes qualified well. Forget the fact that there were some really interesting moments in practice. It, it just comes down to the fact that Ferrari's making some weird strategy decisions. It's clearly not obvious, or maybe it is obvious, as to who the number one driver is. But obviously, team orders, strategy came into play, and they obviously they, they stole a podium finish from, from Leclerc for, for no good reason. And, and we'll get to that, but ultimately, I think the storyline coming out of this race is team strategy, team orders, and just all of that kind of mess. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and all those strategies and everything that was coming to play during the races it, it made it made things confusing for both the drivers oh. and everybody so there was like you know who's going first who might who's overtaking and why why is this uh, strategy being put in, put in place now you know that's what we'll get into and uh, hopefully um, we'll make some sense of it now for the track review the Shanghai International Circuit was designed by one of the most famous track designers in the world Herman Tilke It was designed in the early 2000s, Uh, construction finished in 2004, and it hosted its first Formula One Grand Prix that year. I I think one of the things that fans will typically notice when they watch this race on TV is that year after year, the weather seems to either be quite poor, we've had a number of wet races, or the visibility seems to be poor itself. And that's probably a combination of the fact that there is a heavy amount of pollution in the area. And because I think it's located very much in an industrial section of the city, the track's about 35 kilometers outside the center of Shanghai. And one of the biggest criticisms of the track from those who have attended either as a fan or the media is a complete lack of atmosphere. In fact, you probably notice that a number of the grandstands themselves are permanently covered or at least appear to be permanently covered in advertising. Another main grandstand was recently removed. While the track's capable of hosting a crowd in excess of 200,000, rarely does it ever come close to that. So in terms of the atmosphere, there's not a lot to it. Um, But I think from a driver perspective, it is a very, very interesting track. At 5.4 kilometers, it features 16 extremely long turns. And the the benefit is it adds a lot of drama. It adds the opportunity for overtaking. But what the track does do is eat tires, especially front tires. So tire strategy ultimately uh, ends up playing a very, very critical role in the success that teams and drivers might have here. Uh, In terms of success... Uh, Lewis Hamilton is now a six-time winner, and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but has won at this track 16 times, which is uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Most 
fast laps, most hot laps end up in the 130s. But aside from that, it to me, it's always felt like a very generic event that's held for the sake of being held, not because there's a lot of passion with local motorsports fans. You do see some very dedicated groups. Lewis Hamilton typically has a contingent of fans here, which he being Lewis Hamilton is great at acknowledging. But aside from that, even on television, it doesn't come across as an event that has a lot of energy or a lot of atmosphere, despite the fact that the infrastructure, the track itself is, is absolutely gorgeous. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for Flash F1 Official. All right, we're going to talk about tires. Those are the um, big black round things around the car. And I'm not going to get into too much of the history on the tires. I want to educate our new F1 fans, our new F1 listeners on uh, the tire strategy, the compounds, and uh, how this affects uh, driving, team strategy, and the track. So since 2007, Pirelli's been the sole tire provider for Formula One. And they now, for this particular year, have three tires or compounds that they're introducing for the race. Even though in previous years they were introducing multiple compounds, I think they had seven compounds altogether. They've got like a soft, super soft, hyper soft, intermediate, hard. For this year, they've reduced it to five compounds, but per race, it's going to only be a soft, medium, hard compound, regardless of the compound type. For, for this particular race, it's going to be uh, a hard, which is um, colored white, and we've got a medium, which is colored yellow, and the soft is going to be colored red. So again, regardless of the compound, it's just going to be soft, medium, and hard compounds, aside from wets. And how tires uh, play in, in a race, the rules are that you have to change tires at least at least once per race to a different compound. And in doing this, this plays into team strategy and, and what type of tire they're going to use to start and, and, uh, and finish. Yeah, and depending on the type of track, with all the different tracks throughout the season, uh, you have tracks that have high degradation and you have tracks that have low degradation. And, and that, that really... Uh, plays into the type of tire that they're going to be using. So uh, the compounds based are are strategically based on the track, track length, uh, the type of track, the number of turns, and areas in terms of uh, a grip and 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 tire wear. So we'll get more into tire wear, and and we I think we've spoken a little bit about marbling. Those are the little bits of rubber that uh, come off uh, the tire as the tire is getting worn out from the track, and you know ultimately tire. You can have a great motor, you can have all the aerodynamics, but it's the tire that sticks to the track and what's going to propel the car into doing what it needs to do on the track. Uh, Mark spoke earlier about uh, the degradation or the high wear in, in this particular China Grand Prix track. Uh, Mark, do you want to talk about uh, you know tires on this particular track? Yeah, for sure. I, I think, and it's important, and maybe you can speak to this before I jump into it, but the benefit of a, a soft compound tire versus a, a hard compound tire? Well, the softer compound tire is a bit more malleable, and it's going to be more tacky, and it's going to have um, more contact surfaced uh, on the track, yeah. as opposed to a harder tire that the compound will last a bit longer because it's a higher, more uh, dense uh, uh, rubber, but... Uh, it'll last you a little bit longer, but in terms of the contact to the and the tread and the contact to the to the track, uh, it may not be as sticky or as uh, reactive as a, a really soft uh, or a super soft or ultra soft or hyper soft that they've been using compound. Gotcha. So the, the benefit then, you, hey, you know what? The soft tire, I'm going to get faster lap time because I'm going to be able to go faster through the corners because it's going to keep the car planted to the ground better, like you said, with contact patch. Um, but the benefit of the hard being that, hey, maybe my lap times aren't as fast because I can't go through those corners quite as fast, but I'm going to get more laps out of it. And if you tie this in, and I alluded to this a couple minutes ago when we were talking about the track itself, one of the defining features of the Shanghai International Circuit is it has some very, very aggressive, long sweeping corners. And when you're fighting these corners and you're driving that car, you're putting an absolute ton of load on those front tires. You know, driving in a straight line is fine. You're not putting a ton of wear. If it's a short kind of right-hander or left-hander, you apply a lot of brakes, you make the turn, you're over. But when you're going through these sweeping turns, there's a ton of load on the inside tire, the outside tire, and you tend to wear through them very, very quickly. Um, the surface, and you spoke to this a couple of minutes ago, the surface, the compound of the pavement itself can also play a role. If it's an older surface, um, it might be more like kind of a, a grady, grippy surface that's tearing to that rubber. If it's a newer surface, it may not be quite as abrasive. Um, but one of the things that this 
track is known for is very aggressive corners that are long, they're sweeping, and they absolutely chew up those front tires. So tire strategy plays a, a very significant role here. Yeah, you talk about tra tire strategy, and as we go through different tracks throughout the season, uh, you're going to see tracks that are 50-some-odd laps long to 70-some-odd laps long. And the team's t uh, strategy with regards to tires are going to be how many stops are we going to make? How many times are we going to be changing tires? And what compounds are we going to use to oh, start? Yeah. And what compounds are we going to use to finish? Do we want to uh, get a, a certain position using a softer compound ahead? Or are we thinking long-term, this is a super long track, uh, multiple laps, uh, do we go with a harder compound to just gain those extra laps and uh, uh, perform other st uh, strategic moves throughout the race? Yeah, and you probably heard us talk a lot about team strategy and strategy strategy. Strategy can sometimes be, hey, look, you need to let your teammate pass because he's got better pace than you today. Strategy oftentimes is the opposite that, hey, look, we're going to start on a hard tire knowing that our um, rivals are going to start on a soft and then we're going to switch to a soft towards the end of the lap to hopefully be able to make up the difference. So a lot of times strategy is about tires and the principal reason that teams will pit is one, because they're required to change their tire once a race because they have to go from a soft to a medium or a medium to a hard or whatever the case may be. In the past, teams would pit strategically for other reasons. Until 2010, refueling was part of the sport. It's not anymore, and if you're curious as to why, it's partly because they're in a hybrid era and they don't need to carry that extra fuel, let alone refuel. And, and I would highly encourage you, if you're new to the sport, go to YouTube, look up Formula One refueling, and you'll discover pretty quickly why it's no longer a part of the sport. But the principal reason for pitting is to change tires. And it's also one of the most exciting things because a race can be won with a great pit, or it can be lost by a bad pit, or it can be lost because of bad strategy. Hey, you know what? Let's go on this soft tire. Oh no, it rains. Let's go on a hard tire too long. We've given up too much time. But yeah, it's an interesting part of the sport for sure. Yeah, and with pitting, uh, not just the tire itself, the, the the act of changing the tire. We've all spoken about totally. Haas and their incident, their their incidences uh, in the pit. Yeah, where they Australia were, 20, yeah, 2018. Where they were changing tires or tires were, uh, you know, either not working or not bolted on or, or falling off. Or several years ago, there was a, a season where uh, the Pirelli tires were blowing up on the track yeah. because of the type of compound or they had a bad batch or, or whatnot. But yeah, uh, drivers would be on the track racing and tires would just explode. And we remember a couple of years ago in Monaco, Daniel Ricciardo comes into the pits and the tires aren't even ready. There's the, the, the team's scrambling to get the tires. You, you made a great point earlier as well about the fact that, and you really emphasize this, Pirelli is the sole tire provider for the sport. Until 2007, there was often as many as two different providers. So if you were a team, you're a team Ferrari, or if you're a Mercedes or Williams, you would build a relationship with, and at the time it was historically Bridgestone or Michelin. And that added an entirely different dimension to the sport because not only may teams be on different tire strategies, they could be using different brands entirely. And again, I won't get into the details, but please go to YouTube and search for the 2005 US Grand Prix, possibly the biggest farce in the history of the sport. I, I won't get into it, but I encourage you to watch it. You are listening to the Flash F1 podcast with Gil and Mark. Now, here's where we get into the Chinese Grand Prix, Mark. Yeah, this was uh, so full disclosure. If you're new to the sport and you found this race a little bit boring, it, it was. It wasn't a, a great race, to be totally honest. I was hoping and I was really, really cheering for the fact that maybe there was some rain, which could have added to, added to the drama and the strategy a little bit. But ultimately, maybe the highlight from a performance perspective is you have a 1-2 Mercedes finish for the third straight race. Like I said earlier in the podcast, it's the first time this has happened in a quarter of a century. Williams did it back in, I think, 1992. And I don't know that off the top of my head. I just heard a lot of people on other podcasts mentioning it. So I thought I would bring that one up. So Mercedes continues their absolutely dominant start. You saw Bottas. He won qualifying. He had pole. Um, he ultimately choked it up to Lewis before the first corner. And, and I was saying to my wife, because we were watching it live, I'm like, watch it. He will lose this lead by the second corner. And he did. Uh, in one of the post-race interviews, he mentioned that, look, he, I got a little bit of wheel spin on one of the white lines. Obviously, there's not as much traction on the paint, and that's how he cited he choked up the lead. But ultimately, he still finished second overall, and it was a 1-2 uh, Mercedes finish. Uh, aside from that, I think the storyline, and we alluded to this earlier, was simply the fact that 
Ferrari looks like an absolute joke from a strategy perspective. The race is one, two, Mercedes, Mercedes, and then you have Ferrari, three, four, Leclerc, Vettel. Leclerc passed Vettel because he outqualified him. So it looks like it's going to be a one, two, three, four finish. And then some absolutely stupid strategy and stupid team orders ended up putting them three, five to finish the race. What the F happened, man? Yeah. We have uh, Max Verstappen who uh, ultimately split the, uh, the Ferraris. Yep. Uh, first off, you know, yay to Hamilton uh, for, for winning the race. So he came in first, Bottas came in second and uh, Vettel came in third. Uh, it wasn't an exciting race, but uh, I think the exciting part uh, for me was all the uh, confusion uh, with Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mercedes was out there. They were doing their own thing. Uh, Hamilton uh, has, has won this uh, this race uh, several years in a row. And uh, I was hoping that uh, Bottas was going to take it. But uh, right off the right off the start, uh, Hamilton was able to take over on the first first turn. And the the big talk uh, post race or during the race is is Ferrari. You've got uh, Leclerc, who proved himself in the previous race in Bahrain, being a really, really strong, solid driver, where Ferrari's cars uh, for this particular race uh, didn't have the pace. Um, and Leclerc was ultimately um, uh, ordered to uh, let Vettel pass. Total garbage. Um, and I've, I've said this before that I just want the drivers to drive without any team orders. I, that's what's exciting for me is if they can pull it off, let them pull it off. If Vettel feels that he was faster, why not just do his thing and just pass Leclerc? With, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and why give up the position to start with? Yeah. Exactly. And, and I think that confusion and, and uh, Leclerc was upset at the fact that that order was given because, you know, it was too early in the race. They could have, you know, given him some space and some time to see what more they could do for the team. They're like, it's early. You know, let's see what we can do to kind of make up a bit of a lead. But all that confusion with with Vettel and the team orders. Uh, and, and once Vettel did take over uh, from uh, past Leclerc, uh, Vettel didn't really do much with that without uh, with that takeover. Uh, yeah, 100%. And to give everyone a little bit of context in case you missed the race or you weren't paying attention, although it may have been a little bit hard because it seemed like the race director, the team that was producing the race, was really focused on the Ferraris. Uh, you have... Hamilton won. He's running away with it. He's got the clean air. You have Bottas number two, and then you have Leclerc, and right on Leclerc's rear end, you have Vettel, and ultimately the team orders came down, and Leclerc wasn't happy, and rightfully so, that, hey, you need to let Vettel pass. Leclerc is very clear that, you know what, I, I'm doing everything I can. I have better pace, despite the fact that he's close behind me, but he obeys the team orders. Vettel moves in front. He doesn't even... He doesn't go anywhere. And they basically switch positions ultimately for no reason. And, and to give a little bit more insight, I, I believe that Bottas had a 2.9 second lead on Leclerc when they made the switch. Within a couple of laps, that leads almost eight seconds, that gap between Vettel and Bottas. So it really served ultimately no purpose at all except create more drama within within that, that Ferrari team. And we've been talking about this from day one, that unless that organization becomes very clear that, hey, you're a lead driver, you're our number two, or vice versa, that you're going to have some of this drama. But they're making it unnecessarily difficult because there was no reason for Vettel to pass Leclerc because he didn't have better pace. And what you saw was the fact that Leclerc was right on his rear, uh, Vettel locked up in a couple of corners, so that gap kept tightening and tightening and tightening. But ultimately, because of the way that the team strategies played out and they kept Leclerc out there for a long time, Leclerc doesn't even finish fourth. To your point, he gets split by a, a Honda-powered Red Bull and Verstappen, and he goes five. And, and I, I saw this great note somewhere online. It was either a tweet or on another podcast, but it spoke to the fact that if Ferrari didn't keep interfering and just let these drivers race the race, like you said, right now Leclerc would be third in the driver's standing, not Max Verstappen. It's, it's all self-inflicted, and it's so stupid. And there was a lot of talk before the race about how Ferrari had the pace and the and the straight line speed yep. and how Mercedes were ultimately better in the corners. Yep. Uh, but with this race, it didn't really, sh the pace was not there for Ferrari. They didn't really show it. Uh, Mercedes did handle the corners well that uh, was able to give them that lead and that gap uh, over Ferrari. But uh, Ferrari's undoing was the fact that the team orders did come into play and and confuse the team and, and just put some animosity between the drivers and between the team um, for, for them to just end up in the positions that they're in. Yeah, again, you know where I stand on that one, and it's 
incredibly frustrating because they drew, threw away driver's points because you should have had Leclerc third, not fifth, third. Vettel should have finished fourth, and they should have picked up those extra constructors' points. And it was just, it was stupid. And and it's not clear to me why they made that decision to let Vettel pass. Was it because Vettel had better pace on the day? Well, there's no evidence to suggest they did because he didn't pull away from Leclerc. Or is it because he's the number one driver? And if he is the number one driver, does Leclerc know that? Because Leclerc's been the better driver year to date. And if that is the if that is the case, if I'm him, I'm, I'm pretty upset. And you saw this in some of the post-race interviews that uh, the representation for Charles Leclerc was having some pretty intense conversations with some of the leadership on the Ferrari side, trying to understand where that, that strategy, that decision-making was coming from. Yeah, and I think um, if if he doesn't get those answers, he's going to be another frustrated driver, no different than how Kimi Raikkonen, even though he doesn't show it, uh, he is, uh, when Raikkonen w- was partnered in with Vettel, that he was the number two driver. There was a lot of frustrations where he had opportunities to be, yeah. uh, you know, a, a better driver, a better performing driver, or at least Vettel's equal. So I, I think pretty much in agreement that Ferrari's stupid decision-making ultimately cost them driver's points, that cost them constructor's points. Mercedes, like you said, yay, they take the win. Hamilton, another dominant finish. Uh, looks like he may run away with the driver's championship. Honestly, just because Ferrari can't get their shit together. But aside from that, any other takeaways from this race? Any other things that you'd want to talk about? I do. I really want to talk about Kvyat. I want to I want to talk about the the the, the first turn, the first lap, where uh, Kvyat, in my opinion, uh, could have left them room. Like it's you know the, it is the first lap. And, and when you say them, who are you speaking? I'm to? talking about uh, McLaren. I'm sorry, McLaren. Yeah, yeah. he he sandwiched uh, uh, McLaren and he ended up uh, clipping him or hitting yeah. him and and then uh, bouncing into the next McLaren and uh, next McLaren and having uh, that wheel hop up and. You know Norris and and Russell. Oh no, I'm sorry, not Science. Russell. Science. Yeah, yeah we're we're uh, had took on some damage yeah. and uh, Kvyat uh, got a penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and this is what Daniel Kvyat's known for, right? Back in his Red Bull days, back in his Toro Rosso days, the first time he was racing with Toro Rosso, he's known for being a little bit aggressive and making contact. But remarkably, he simultaneously <laughs> made contact with both McLarens and effectively wrecked both of their races. And, and at the time, because they showed the replay a number of times, I wasn't sure if it was necessarily a racing incident or not but ultimately uh the race directors gave him a drive-through penalty so that ultimately cost him his race as well looking at the uh at the race and um and the replays it looked like from his cockpit he did have some sort of understeer or oversteer yeah. but it was he was already pretty tight in the corners the mclarens were already on the outside of, of the track he he should have just came in a bit tighter on the yeah. inside and 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 you know save his car and and the McLarens and not cause yep. any damage right yep. so the penalty you know it's hard to say if he deserved it or not um, looking at the cockpit his steering wheel looked like oversteer understeer but um, you know just use your head you know first lap why do you want to be taken out on the first lap right yep. let's just be cautious let's take that uh, take that turn tight and uh, not crash into anybody I, I totally agree. Alexander Albon. So if you didn't see free practice, if you didn't see qualifying in the final turn headed towards the, I guess the checkered flag, so to speak, of free practice three, Albon loses traction, ultimately spins out, hits a wall and absolutely destroys his car, which means... That, that was an actual recording because, of course, we, we aren't licensed to use uh, Formula One audio video. Um, we had to generate that post. But uh, but ultimately, he and I, I don't even know if I can criticize him. Maybe it's just one of those things that happens. He loses traction, ultimately spins out, destroys the car, which means he can't go in qualifying. He can't compete in qualifying, which means that he not only has to start from the back of the grid, but he, has to, he actually has to start from the pit lane. But the guy finishes 10th. He finishes in the points. He picks up a point in the drivers' championship. Racer of the day. What do you think? Yeah, that was really surprising. Uh, going through what he did in practice, he's not that inexperienced of a driver. It could have just been a mishap on on yeah. his part. Everybody makes mistakes, but for for him to to gain some points, that's great. Yeah, that's great. That shows you know his determination and having to prove that hey, that was a mistake that I did. But here, let let me prove it out on the track. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really good for him that he was able to kind of 
uh, you know, have some um, saving grace and, and, and save face that way. Yeah, and it was a good news story, obviously, for Toro Rosso, because on the one side, you have Kvyat and his performance taking out two McLarens and getting that penalty. And on the other hand, you have Alexander Albon, who doesn't even qualify, starts from the pit lane and finishes in the points. And you and I talked about this before we started recording today, but a really disappointing story, Lance Stroll. And we, we were super pro-Canadian. This is a Canadian podcast. We want to grow the popularity of the sport in this country. The guy doesn't get through Q1 for the seventh straight race. And again, four of those races, he was driving a Williams car, so let's forget about those. But he's now in a Mercedes-powered racing point car. So in theory, it should be a better car. He's gone through qualifying three times. He's never gotten out of Q1. He finishes out of the points. Your thoughts on Stroll this weekend? Well, let's not shy away from the fact that it's funded by his father as well. So there's a lot of money from his dad coming in to make the team really good. And for him to drive in a way where he's not giving his all, I don't know if it's part of it as the car or the way he, he's driving. It's hard to put a finger on I'm a great supporter of Stroll, you know, Canadian boy. Oh, so am I. Since the start of the season, he hasn't been really proving himself in terms, you know, his his position, his his drive, his competitiveness. Not like last the last yeah. couple of years. He's been he's yeah. been really good. And uh, now it's, you know... I don't know what it is, but, you know, for the team, we were talking about this, you know, if if it comes down to a team and strategy and does his father let him go yeah, down down, yeah, down the yeah. season or, or what? Yeah. It, it's early and we know that because of the financial, the dire financial straits that Force India was in last year, that by the time the Stroll Consortium came in and bought the team, they'd made little to no progress developing the 2019 car. We know that for all intents and purposes, the car they brought to testing before the season began was a 2018 car. They're really now only beginning to learn the ins and outs of their 2019 car. So I'll obviously give them a couple more races because really he's just becoming familiar with that team, with the with the transmission, with the car. It's a new car. Neither he nor Sergio Perez have a lot of experience, but it's something we'll continue to monitor. But, you know, as Canadian fans, we want this guy to do well. He did finish in the points in Australia. Didn't really come close last race or this race, but something we'll continue to monitor. Any other big thoughts from the race? Yeah, since we're talking about points, let's talk about Gasly. Yeah. Pierre Gasly, he got uh, the fastest fastest lap and gained that extra point. Totally. But then it takes us back to Ferrari because Ferrari... Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold back a little <laughs> bit, but if they'd had a better strategy, they could have been third and fourth, and they could have had the fastest lap. And to be fair, I'm pretty sure there was a late pit stop for Red Bull to get Gasly on tires to go after that. But ultimately, you look at the race for for Red Bull, you get a fourth place finish, which is great. More points, they just keep racking up the points. And you heard Verstappen say that at the end of the race, like it's a great win for the team. We keep accumulating points. Verstappen's third, firmly third in the drivers' championship. But then you have Gasly finishing just after Leclerc. This was a really, really solid finish for Red Bull Honda. Yeah, it was a good strategy to uh, get him switched up on tires. And then he had pretty much an open palette totally. and was able to uh, just uh, get that track speed and uh, get that uh, fastest lap and get that point. And, and we talk about the value of that point because ultimately at the end of the season, you might have three or four different teams that are competing for that third spot in the Constructors' Championship. And that's tens and tens of millions of dollars, right? So that point here and that point here goes a long way towards contributing to the financial winnings of the teams at the end of the season. Yeah, and I've talked about it in previous episodes where I like this new uh, fastest lap point uh, system where it adds a different dynamic to to the race. Uh, you've got racers that uh, or drivers that uh, will fight for that fastest lap if they're in a certain position. And long term or, or uh, throughout the season, this, this extra point could make that difference between a certain position a certain purse uh to the team so williams not really a lot to talk about there um <laughs> haas not a not a ton to talk about there yeah. Renault, any, anything uh, from a Renault perspective ricardo got some points yeah got some points yeah. which is great so that was his first finish right so his first finish which is obviously a relief for him i'm sure uh anything else uh do we talk about kimmy reikonen he had a kind of blah blah kind of weekend yeah, and uh, race race days so. didn't qualify super super well um, which is a little bit disappointing because y- you'd assume he'd have some familiarity with the the Alfa Romeos because they share so many components with uh, with the Ferrari team. But other than that, it's, for me, like it's a great weekend for Mercedes. But I-, I think what overshadows that is the fact that a really stupid Ferrari strategy 
cost them a place in the standings and just cost them a ton of drivers and constructors points. Yeah, done too early in the race. Uh, if they just let uh, the drivers uh, continue on the way they were, who knows how it would have turned out the the back half of the race where they could have been possibly closer. Something could have happened. It could have been more competitive. That's what I wanted to see is the competitiveness. But uh, in doing uh, that team strategy early on, we would never know. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for Flash F1 Official. Welcome to the first ever mailbag edition of Flash F1. Normally, this is where we would uh, read tweets, DMs, emails from our listeners that are curious about the sport, have criticisms for us, or have questions. Because we haven't received any yet... Um, this is going to be something of a quote-unquote hashtag fake mailbag session, so bear with us. There's some pretty good questions here. My friend, you've got a list of questions for me from our quote-unquote listeners, yep. uh, and i got a list of questions from you from our quote-unquote listeners. You want to kick this off? All right. I think the first one is from Sarah Rockney in Vancouver, BC. Terrible name. <laughs> and her question is, or her statement is, you talk too much about team orders. I'm guessing there's many exclamation marks on that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think, you know, we do talk a lot about team orders. Totally. And, uh, I think the reason why we do so is because of the fact that I want the race to be more natural. Yeah. Um, I, I understand there's big money uh, in play here and uh, the teams get some sort of bonus at the end of the season yeah. and everyone's wanting to do the best uh, and put themselves in a position to to get that type of purse or that, that money at the end of the season. But... For me, as a spectator, as someone who uh, likes cars and likes uh, the sport of Formula One, uh, team order sometimes comes too much into play when I'm watching the race, and it, it disturbs the race a bit. The, the drivers can't drive naturally, um, and you know, um, I just want the I just want the sport to be a, a bit more natural. Mark, yeah, it, it it's interesting, and I, I think it's unavoidable uh, for those of you that are new to the sports. Every team has two cars they have two drivers it's not always clear within the team who the number one driver is so sometimes they compete for each other but sometimes it's in the interest of the team to have one driver win over the other for instance if you have two drivers that are out there competing and they're one two but the driver in second position is contending for the driver's championship it wouldn't be unusual to ask that driver to make way so that the contending driver can get into a position to collect as many points as possible and we've seen that in the past with Hamilton and Bottas. But Not off- even Hamilton Bottas. I think uh, a better example would be uh, Hamilton and uh, Nico Rosberg. Oh, what a year. Look up 2014, look up 2016 on YouTube. Those were some really, really exciting years, and those two didn't like each other at all. And then I, I think the other piece is oftentimes if a team has a driver that's contending for a championship, it means they're probably one of the better teams, which means that they probably got two great drivers who can both compete. But it adds an interesting dynamic, and I think one of the things that we predicted early on was that this year there was going to be some real contentious battles in Ferrari. You bring up this superstar driver in Leclerc, who's now positioned in the garage immediately next to Vettel, who has four drivers' championships. I think it's just unavoidable that we're going to talk a lot about it this year. Yeah. Cool. Question for you. So this question comes in from one of our listeners in the ATL. Shout out Atlanta. Sierra Princess Harris asks, Gil, you are a stunning specimen. Can I have your representations info? I would like to have you as a backup dancer in my next music video. So I'm, I'm guessing she's probably an up and coming rap star or hip hop star <laughs> in Atlanta. Is that something you might be interested in, backup dancing? Well, first off, I just want to say to her that, that great observation from her. Um, but I am so out of time right now. I, I, I don't have a lot of spare time to get it back into my hip-hop roots yeah fair uh, enough. you know my my early 80s breaking days have uh you know since left me so yeah you know right now if i can uh, get a mo- dinner and a movie in and in bed by 10 i'm good but uh thank you for the ask and uh if ever um, I'm down in the ATL, I'll, uh, I'll look you <laughs> up and uh, we'll hit some clubs and, uh, and and do something there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, you're next. Okay, I've got one from 
Uh, April O'Neil in New York City. Um, no relation to April O'Neil from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Definitely not. Okay. <laughs> um, she asks, uh, do you like pizza? And if so, what kind? And do you like extra cheese and pepperoni? Interesting. So I'll go first. Okay. So yes, I do like it. Yes, lots of mozzarella and many hot peppers. What about you? Well, since I've been trying to reduce my carb intake, uh, funny enough, uh, my Instagram story yesterday was just me just eating a pizza in, in front of the camera. So I do like pizza. Um, the pizza I did order yesterday was uh, a true Canadian. It had some bacon, had some ham, oh, yeah. uh, lots of cheese. So yeah. Um, yeah, so I treated myself yesterday to a, to a carb uh, carb intake and a, and a yummy pizza. Followed up by sushi immediately before the podcast. Great yeah. Job. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that carb-restricted diet's going well. Uh, my next question, or the next question here, is from uh, Regi- Regina Regina George uh, from Chicago. She asks, what's your favorite color? My favorite team is Racing Point. That will give you a good hint as to my favorite color. I'm guessing pink. And she says, P.S., stop trying to make the phrase fetch work to you. <laughs> fetch work. What's your favorite color? Okay, so my f- favorite color is green. Green. Because uh, it's, you know, relative to money, cha-ching. Okay. Uh, green is part of Mercedes as well. Uh, okay. Green, silver, so sure. I, I like Mercedes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, green. Green okay. is my is my, is my my color. Yeah, and I think for me it's probably blue. Um, I have one very specific color that I like the most. Uh, World Rally Blue. It's a color that Subaru reserves for their WRX and STI models. Nice. Super nice. Okay. Next question. Okay. I've got one from Percy Miller in New Orleans. Um, I I think this is mostly directed to you. Um, Do you guys like uh, basketball? If not, why not? Do we like basketball? So I can't speak for you, but I'm a huge NBA fan. I love the league. And I think what I like most about the NBA is the personalities because they play on a relatively small I guess court, whereas in football and baseball, they play on this big expansive field because they're not wearing helmets, because they're so socially engaged with social media, you get to know them a lot. And and I think one of the reasons I like the NBA so much is just the personalities within the league. I, I really like that. And I love how involved the, the athletes in that league are with the community. Basketball fan? Yeah, um, I'm not a big follower of basketball. I can watch basketball. I think it's interesting. Uh, I used to when I was younger. Uh, so I do like, you know, hey, Larry Bird. Oops, Larry Bird all the way. <laughs> Larry Bird? Yeah. What decade do you live in? I'm telling you, I'm old. I'm and old. dude, you're Filipino. You're supposed to be a big I know. basketball Philippi- fan. Philippines loves uh, basketball, but uh, I love Formula One. Uh, I think a next uh, sport would be for me would be tennis, especially women's tennis. Uh, like the moaning and the grunting every time they hit those balls. Uh, but yeah, uh, basketball, a uh, bunch of dudes running around carrying the balls back and forth um so it's all right but okay. yeah moving moving on all right if, if as quickly as we can <laughs> next question comes from william leonard roberts from miami and he says hustle up a list of your favorite rappers p.s gil you still owe me a stack from the last time that i saw you at the club <laughs> so i don't know when you were last in miami but it looks like you owe somebody a little bit of cash i'm guessing you may have been at i don't know the strippers whatever the case may be uh, get in line i owe a lot of people some cash <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, maybe i'll go first I, i'm a i'm a huge rap fan and again i wasn't prepared for this question at all but i'll i'll kind of run, randomly run down a list of my favorite rappers nelly and the saint lunatics cardi b master p Ludacris, kid Inc., cardinal official ice Cube, Rick Ross, Lil Wayne, Fat Joe, Eminem, Dr. Dre, T.I., Shaw Claire, Cameron, 50 Cent, Big Pun, Dizzy Rascal, Jay-Z, Notorious B.I.G., and of course, Drake and the OVO fam, Back and Not Nice, and of course, Roy Woods, etc. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, you? you had your list ready. I was, yeah, no, 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 I was unprepared. Those Man. are just the first few that sprang to mind. Man, I, I don't even know if I can remember all my rappers from back in the day. No, I do like NWA. Uh, I think I, I Instagrammed, I still have an unopened NWA, or no, not NWA, Easy e Easy Does It CD, still in its original cellophane. And what did the, you pay for that? I paid like $30 back in the late 80s. Wow. And uh, yeah, so... Adjusted uh, for inflation, that's like $100, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, so uh, Easy e NWA, Dr. Dre, Cool Mo D, okay, cool. Q-Tip. Uh, Q-Tip. Yeah, uh, obviously, uh, Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac. 
Uh, those are some great rappers. Their lyrics are awesome. Biggie and Pac. Biggie and Pac. Okay. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. I have love for both. So okay. yeah, I can, I can easily listen to either or. And um, yeah, you know, uh, I think maybe, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, who's who's that? Who's that rapper that does the thong song? Thong, the thong, thong, thong. Cisco. Cisco. Yeah. I don't know if he's a rapper. Uh, okay. Well, I just like the video. <laughs> Interesting. I feel like, and I, I feel like he was in a teen comedy at one point too. I don't remember what it was. Maybe Get Over It, but with Kirsten Dunst. But okay. okay. Interesting. Do you still listen to rap today? Um, some. Um, you know, with with me, uh, um. I'm all over the place. I'll listen to whatever sounds good to me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm still a big fan. I, I run a lot, and it's it's a really great type of music to listen to to keep you charged up and keep you moving. Um, I probably listen to a blend of primarily older stuff. So for me, older stuff would be late '90s, early 2000s. One of my favorite songs, and I, I didn't put this on my list, but uh, um, Triumph by the Wu Tang Clan. Obviously, hypnotized by by Biggie. Not a big not a big Tupac fan, and and I really struggle with a lot of the newer rappers this SoundCloud yeah. generation, yeah. this this mumble rap. And, and I won't get into it in P2 derogatory because I still listen to it and I try to understand it, but it's it's a real departure from what I, I've known previously. And, and of course, growing up, and you would have been the same, that hip-hop rap was a really distinct segment of the music industry. It's become so big now, and maybe this is a good thing, that it's blended into all other types of music. So pop and hip-hop are almost indistinguishable. We're seeing that today where hip-hop is creeping into some country songs, but it's... Uh, Not even that, just the artists in Formula One. You've got Lewis Hamilton, who's like bringing in all these celebrity hip-hop celebrities, actors, totally. and, and rappers into into the pits. But yep. uh, yeah, yep. uh, when you said old music, I was thought, you know, for me, I was listening to like Neil Diamond, Bee Gees, and like Air Supply. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can attest to the fact that you still listen to those I things because we've listened or we've recorded some of these podcasts. And and I think, and you know what? Shout out uh, uh, Daniel Forrest. We desperately want to get you on as an interview, but there's a, a very, very, very famous uh, producer, uh, music creator in Toronto called Daniel Forrest. Forrest. Um, he's produced the beats for some great um, hip-hop tracks, um, Wally in particular. Um, he's Lewis Hamilton's, I, I think, near full-time social media manager. So a lot of the Lewis Hamilton content that you see posted on Instagram and Twitter and things like that comes from him. He helps to coordinate it and he helps to develop the material that's shared. In fact, if you saw the beginning of the race last night when Lewis Hamilton was scooting through the the pits on a scooter and he was being chased by somebody with a phone recording it, that's Daniel Forrest. We'd love to obviously get him on get him on the show. But yeah, for me, obviously a, a big time hip hop fan. All right, let's get to the next one. I've got one from, oh, hey, D. Colthard in Birmingham. Probably, D. Yeah. D. Colthard, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's let's guess who that is. <laughs> um, how did you two people in the colonies become passionate about <laughs> did F1? Did he say colonies? Yeah, colonies. <laughs> okay, so other than the fact that he's being very disrespectful, and again, for those of you that are listening, we're in, we're in Canada, um, and apparently some of the upper crust in Britain still see us as the colonies. Maybe uh, you take this one first. Oh, I don't know. I... I've been watching Formula One for for you know years. I think uh, I think I mentioned uh, I don't know if I mentioned in an earlier podcast, but 1995 I got into uh, uh, Formula One to be uh, more relative to a couple of buddies of mine who were big into Formula One. Uh, as I started watching more and more, I was getting really into it, and you know, relating it back to our hip hop talk or rapper talk, you know, I saw that there was like fast cars and 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 uh, grid girls like hot chicks and and uh, champagne or or uh, you know at at the uh, at the end of the race they were popping bottles. I thought it was a rap video I was watching, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got into it. I liked the competitiveness. I, I liked the the way that the drivers and the teams were were uh, fighting and vying for a spot and position. And uh, aside from the the team competitiveness, there's internal team competitiveness and. Uh, I'm a competitive person, so I, I liked it, and I've stuck with it ever since. That's you? awesome. Yeah, I, I think mine's maybe a little bit different. I, I spent a lot of my summers when I was young in Devon in the south, um, the southwest uh, of the UK, and a, every Sunday the staple would be Sunday lunch. You'd have a roast beef lunch, and then ultimately you'd end up watching a Formula One race. And at the time, Nigel Mansell was a, a pretty dominant star, in particular during his Williams days when they had the active suspension. Um, but my grandparents were both a big fan, so that's kind of where my, my initial immersion came and growing up in high school here um, back in the late 90s we had a, obviously a very successful Canadian driver and Jacques Villeneuve winning the driver's title in 1997 perhaps not ironically with with the Williams team um, uh, with the Williams team himself um, but aside from that 
I, I think I, I kind of lost the sport a little bit in the early 2000s. I didn't love the groove tires. Um, as much as I'm a huge fan of Michael Schumacher, um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that era. So that era for me is kind of ghosted out a little bit, but I love the early 90s. I love the late 90s, the competitiveness between Schumacher at that point and everyone else. Um, obviously, again, like I said, um, Jacques Villeneuve's win in 1997 was a big yes. one from a Canadian standpoint. Mm -hmm. And then I really started getting back into the sport with the emergence of Lewis Hamilton. Because um, one, he was a young driver. He was clearly a transcendent star. But he brought something to the sport that I think it desperately needed. That was historically drivers grew up in wealth and, you know, obviously the family money and kind of exposure to the driver's academies at a young age made them successful. But um, Lewis Hamilton kind of bucked that trend because he didn't grow up super wealthy. He was an ultra, ultra talented star. He was transcendent because he was involved in all of these other um, elements of pop culture, whether it's TV or music or fashion. But Lewis Hamilton completely re-energized my passion in the sport in 07. Of course, he won the title in 08 mm -hmm. um, and I've kind of been following on a race by race, practice by practice basis since then. Yeah, and I think we've spoken before about how I like to relate uh, Lewis Hamilton to Tiger Woods. You know, oh, um, 100 percent, perfect, groom, perfect, groomed by their by their father, uh, yep. top notch in their sport, uh, and uh, totally changing the game, whether it be in golf or in Formula One, and uh, bring that um, that excitement and something that's out of the norm for normal drivers in Formula One, right? He, yep. He's bringing in like hip hop stars, celebrities. He's you know dating like. Uh, you know, celebrities and jet setting, uh, where a lot of the other um, European drivers are very kind of, you know, uh, to their ways, right? I, I don't know how else to put it, but they're not as profiled or highlighted as much as Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, and, and to be fair, if you live in North America and you're under 50, it's not cool to be a Formula One fan. Lewis Hamilton makes it cool because he, he's encouraging people to come to the track and I'll always remember his win and I can't remember if it was 2016 or 2017 but he wins in Monaco he's up there with the trophy you have um, Gabrielle Union in the crowd you have Dwayne Wade in the crowd you have these really cool figures of modern popular culture and they're not there without Lewis Hamilton so he makes it cool to be a fan of the sport and and frankly he's just fired himself and I think there was one time he had Justin Bieber out there as well yeah too. I, I remember yeah. that yeah yeah absolutely so you know Canadian boy right there too so loving that totally and that, that's what I talk about when I say he's a transcendent star the sport for so long had been so insular and so exclusive and, and even now sometimes you see the heavy Rolex marketing all over the sport like that doesn't appeal to me I can't afford a Rolex watch but I can certainly afford a pair of Bose headphones which is what <laughs> which is what Lewis is typically yeah. uh typically hawking but yeah so for me um lewis's emergence in the sport was just kind of that pull that brought me back in full time okay cool i've got a question for you all right so this question is from and they've they've left their last name out but hubert j from minnesota asks where do you two work i hope you aren't using company resources for this podcast quote unquote endeavor that would not be amazing Okay, uh, I'm gonna say no comment. <laughs> uh, just in case we have some coworkers listening, uh, we are not using company resources. Um, yeah, I, I just think that if I disclose where I work, I'm just gonna have too many um, fans coming over to come see me. Yeah. Uh, especially, um, what's her name from Atlanta? Uh, Sierra. You know, yeah, Sierra. Yeah. Um, so I just want to make sure that uh, I'm still kind of low key. Toy. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, Mark, you? <laughs> yeah, and, and again, so everybody knows, and I don't think we've shared this before, we work for the same company. It's definitely not a large office building in South Burnaby. Uh, we definitely do not work for the largest consumer electronics retailer on the planet. We definitely not, do not have a thousand blue and yellow stores. Um, that is definitely not the company that we work for. And uh, Mr. I mean, Hubert J. I, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. Um, definitely not using company resources, although we did staff purchase a lot of the gear that uh, we're using and we're recording this in my place. So yeah, yeah definitely uh, not uh, misappropriating company resources yeah. for this endeavor. The only thing uh, good about the company is the fact that uh, Formula One fans uh, in the company are few and far between. So to kind of connect with uh, other fellow Formula One um, uh, fans is and, and, uh, and uh, sport uh, enthusiasts is uh, really great and that's how we found each other was yep. just and i don't even know how it was maybe oh i think it was because i had a screensaver 
I had a Formula One screensaver and you walked by and that kind of sparked that conversation. Yep, it was the call that come and talk to me if you know what this thing on my screen is. But And then I, I remember as well you sharing uh, the news, the breaking news about the Halo earlier on and I being heartbroken, although now I'm a big fan. But but yeah, so we uh, we work at the head office for a large consumer electronics retailing company yep. that will remain nameless. <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, I think this is the last question uh, that, uh, that we have here. Um, it's from... Asuka Langley Shikinami in New Tokyo. I hope I'm saying that right. I was going to say Asaka, but it's, it sounds like Asuka Langley uh, Shikinami. I think it's Asuka. I Asuka? think it's Asuka Langley okay, Shikinami. Okay, maybe she wants to ask us a question. Uh, what is it here? It's, uh, oh, what type of car do you drive? Mark? Uh, no, I'll let you oh, take this one first. Really? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, take a pick. Well, actually, for me, um, my, my, mine are slim pickings. I've, I've got four cars. Uh, three of them are completely identical. I drive uh, uh, a 2017 Hyundai Elantra, and I've got three uh, Scion XBs first generation, a couple of 05s and uh, one 06. I'm looking for a fourth one. Um, I, I was big into cars back in the day, um, back with my previous employment and, uh, and my, my hobbies. Uh, when the, the Scion boxcar first generation came out, um, it was one of those vehicles that you kind of love or hate, and uh, I would now I'm able to afford one or now three, looking for a fourth one. But uh, they're just my for fun cars, just to kind of tinker with. But uh, my daily driver, you know, is my 2017 Hyundai Elantra. I uh, just wanted to have something semi decent to drive around. Cool. Yeah, you? Yeah. So I think before I announce what I drive now, I'll, I'll provide some back context so I don't seem quite so lame. But uh, again, always been a car guy. My my favorite personal car was I had a 2004 Subaru Impreza WRX STI. It was the the first year the car was made available in North America. It had two and a half liter Boxer boxer four um it was by the time i sold it and i regret selling it so much by the time i sold it it was heavily heavily modified it was unbelievable it was a 365 day a year car whether it was snow rain or bone dry temperature um swap out those r compound tires in the summer i, I loved it um after that i had a um Range Rover Sport, which I loved, but I was scared to drive for fear that something failed and it would be a costly repair. Um, and ultimately, fuel economy was terrible. Um, after that, um, I missed having a sporty car, so I got into bikes for a while. Um, I had a Honda CBR 600RR. Um, I had a, uh, what did I have after that? Oh, Triumph Daytona 675. So the 675cc triple. Again, I love that bike. Ultimately sold it. Again, greatly, greatly regret it. And right now, my wife and I have a four-door automatic Honda Civic because we have a young child. And in the next few years, we will probably upgrade to a ultra generic uh, four-door mini crossover sport U type thing when we need more space. So nothing cool at the moment, but I've <laughs> I like to think I've had some cool stuff in the past. Man, if you still had that Subaru, I would have traded you one of my kids for that Subaru. Both <laughs> or just one? Just one. I need, I need the other one to wash the other cars. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, that's it for the... the quote-unquote fake mailbag. Thanks for listening to Flash F1. Come back for more tech talk, track talk, team talk, and definitely more trash talk. This is Gil and Mark saying sayonara. That's the wrong country. <laughs> is figured, this supposed to be a Chinese-themed podcast? I, I figured Asian. Asian is close enough. But you're Asian. I know. <laughs> oh, my. You know what? Maybe save that for a future podcast. Cool. Guys, thank you, everybody, for joining. Uh, we're out of here. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks for uh, Baku. All right. See you guys. Yep. Thanks. Peace. Peace. This is Sarah signing off at Flash F1 with Gil and Mark. Thanks for listening. Join us next time as we recap the Azerbaijan Grand Prix.